Welcome to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. And always, that is AJ on my right this time. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige. And we have to welcome back a friend of the show, just about family at this point, Mr. Justin Marvel of This Just In. So, Justin, how are you, my friend? You you know very well, Ken. That's why you are here. They're laughing. <laughs> I, I, I saw y'all and y'all devious cells bringing me on this show, but well, to be honest, I was supposed to be on last week and I finally got somebody from Barbados willing to come to Wisconsin during January. I don't know how much rum he had before he left Barbados. So, okay, he, could, he could only be crazy, but yeah, it was a week overdue, so I'm here. Unfortunately, as you know, we didn't get the result that I wanted, but we're going to touch on that very, very shortly. Timing works perfectly. It's fine. Apparently. How are you, AJ? How are you doing, my brother? I'm good as well, you know. I am decided to... I probably had in too much rum, too, because I decided to take a trip out east <laughs> in January as well. But ticket prices were looking good, and, you know. Um, so I just went out. Went out to New York for a few days. Got a little delayed in coming back, which is why we're recording a bit later. But better late than never. Indeed. See, this is probably why all of these ticket prices were looking so wonderful because all of the places that you were going and the guy that was coming to you, Justin, you guys were headed to the fridges, the ice boxes, and that's why basically, yep, it would be nice and easy for anybody to come through at that time. And of course, weather did play a role in some of what happened this weekend, and we'll definitely get to that. Of course, we, we do want to just do a little bit of quick housekeeping. That is, the bracket challenge is still going strong. Those brackets that are in, some of them went the way of the dodo because of what happened this weekend. But my bracket, at least half of it is still alive. I, I picked correctly the AFC, but everything I picked for the NFC went the other way. So... Without any further ado, of course, you know, we go off the rip. And last week, we introduced what the what. So, Justin, first up, what made you say what the what this weekend? Do you all even have to ask? Okay, I'm sure you all know where I'm going with this. Just had to ask us formality, to be very honest. (laughs) Fair enough, but you all know where I'm starting this. When you spend a hundred and something odd dollars per you know, a playoff ticket mm-hmm. to sit down in two-degree weather in Lambeau Field to watch the likely four-time MVP put up 10 points and lose in the manner which you do. Yeah, that's the what you want. Like, that's my first playoff game at Lambeau, and it is unfortunate that that's the way it went. I mean, at least I could tell somebody that saw Aaron Rodgers last game in in, in, in in Green Bay colors, but it really was hard to watch. Like, I, I cannot believe. And the thing is, the offense, as much as we only scored 10 points, was really not the major issue for me. I know Aaron Rodgers is getting his fair share of blame all across social media and probably deservedly so. But to see special teams, and granted, guys, our special teams have been bad all year round, right? So what happened? On Sunday or Saturday, sorry, should be no surprise to Parker fans. 
but for all of San Francisco's 13 points to coincide with or be a result of all four of our special teams blunders just talk it's just disheartening and you know I know a lot has been made about Aaron Rodgers but I'm going to point and show you like obviously the two biggest plays are the pump block which gives them their only touch on the game at seven points and ties the game inside the final five minutes and then the field goal block um, the last play of the half which takes away three points from us that is a 10-point swing in a game that we lose by three points. So I don't have to tell you the math. Two routine special teams plays, and we're talking about different results. But what a lot of people don't realize, right, is that outside of that, their first three points in the game, that comes as a part of a poor kick return coverage because Debo Samuel takes the opening kickoff in the second half, takes that to midfield. That's their first three points in the game. And then, the shocker of all shockers, their game-winning field goal, we only have 10 men. <laughs> 10 men on the field to stop that game-winning field goal. And I'm not here to tell you if we have 11, we block the field goal. But you certainly ain't blocking it with 10 men on the field. So all of, thir all of San Francisco's 13 points, I can point towards a special teams blender of some sort. And that is just depressing in a game, you know, it was so cold. A team that in the, the, the recent iteration the Green Bay Packers have had trouble with in the playoffs. And the issue has always been that the Packers have problems stopping the run. And finally, you get the defensive performance that would have put you over the top. You, you, you stop them and you run the pass. Like your defense was dominant. And simple things like special teams units just field you on a day. I think there's a stat out there. It's the first time in almost 40 years that a team in a playoff game had both a punt and a field goal block. It's just unacceptable. I, I, I can imagine. I can hear the pain in your voice. Now, AJ, did your what the what have anything to do with this game? Because if it doesn't, we will come back to your what the what. We will we'll allow the therapy section for Justin to run his course because remember this episode this week is called walk off therapy so we, we have some stuff that we have to get off our chest uh it, it it is related to this game but on a lighter note I'm not a Packers fan so I'm not going to walk so eloquently about the game and I'll be very honest I didn't even get to see like three quarters of it I lucky lucky you <laughs> yeah, we saw basically the first quarter, but then I had to head out and the location where we were didn't have a TV. But I honestly was, gen I was surprised when I was told that the Packers lost the game. I was like, what do you mean they lost the game? They scored on the first drive. Like, I thought that was just going to be like a precursor to what was to come. Apparently not. Um, but on a lighter note, but obviously related... What was the biggest biggest joke for me is the fact that the Niners skin up everybody brackets basically in some way, shape, or form with a QB who threw eleven of nineteen pass attempts, completed eleven of nineteen pass attempts, and did not throw a touchdown. How 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 long is uh, are we going to have to watch Jimmy G do this? Try to give the other team the game, and then eventually get bailed out. And so my joke is just that because I don't. 
I don't know anyone besides possibly a Niners fan, and maybe even some of them thought that they were going to lose this game, who had written in any sort of bracket or even had it in their mind that they were going to win this game. Uh, you, could call, you could call it wishful thinking, but I mean, a, a, anyone serious, serious with themselves would have had the Packers to win this. So it, 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 it was a huge joke to me that my bracket's gone through because of Jimmy G and, and I mean, it, there are other factors, but it's just Jimmy G completed 11 passes, yeah. I mean, you had to know that was what was coming in terms of how many passes you would have passed. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised, you know. It's, it's just the fact that they won the game off of this. And as you so eloquently put it just now, it was a lot to do with special teams, but we'll get into that um, as well in a bit. So, yeah, so I my what the what is not related to this game. So I'll keep mine for a second. I'll be, I'll be back with my what the what just in a little bit. So when I was looking at this game, the question that a lot of people were asking, I was asking as well, which is, mm. who do you get? Who gets the blame for this? Mm. Now, I heard Justin say that he put some of the blame on the special teams. Justin, mm. is there anybody else that you want to put the blame on for this game and this loss? I know the easy thing is to put this on Aaron Rodgers, right? And make no mistake, I'm not here to give him a free pass on this one. He did not play well at all, at least not by his standards. You don't have that offense, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the game who's going to win his second consecutive MVP. You don't have the best receiver in the game, Devontae Adams. And in conditions that you're accustomed to that favor you, because this is what they're practicing, you only scored 10 points at home. Like, obviously, that is not acceptable. That being said, and again, I'm not, please don't mistake this for me giving Aaron Rodgers a free pass. He did not play well by any means, like, like, like no means at all. My, the other person I give or put this on is Matt LaFleur. And again, not for the offense, more so than, as I told you all, this was a season long problem with the special teams unit. And mm. before the playoffs started, I said, a special teams problem is going to cost us a playoff game. I just didn't expect it to be four in one game. But I, <laughs> I figured Mason Crosby was going to have his field goal blocked or, or he's going to miss one and that's going to cost us a game because that's what's been going on all season. So to get back to Matt LaFleur, we, I mean, granted again, he made a change at special teams head coach or coach um, releasing the last guy and bringing in or promoting Maurice Drayton. But the issues continued once again. And I mean, it got so bad. ESPN reporter Rob Demosky, who covers the Packers so very well, as the season went on, guys, and I'm not kidding you when I'm about to tell you this, he created a bingo card for every single possible problem that could go on special teams. And as the games were going, he was just kicking them off. Like a bingo card is ticking them off. You watch these problems persist through the entire season. And I figured either mid-season or late season, we needed to find a change. I put that on Matt LaFleur not realizing a change needed to be made at some point because special teams will cost us a playoff game. And so said, so done. 
The issue, though, that I have to go even further than Matt LaFleur, again, reading Rob Demofsky and his great work on ESPN, and for Packer fans, you really should watch and follow what he does, is that he highlighted this is an institutional failure for the last 20 years. What I didn't realize is that even before Maurice Drayden, the last seven special teams coaches for the Packers have either been fired or forced into retirement simply because it has been a problem. Last season, we did the same thing, season before that. So it's like, does it matter if we fired or moved the coach? So I have to put that on general manager Brian Goodkunst. And I don't want to sound like the guy who's constantly blaming Goodkunst for issues, but even a, an agent, a well-known agent in the NFL says, this is a Packers problem because Goodkunst and his predecessor in... Um, the daily departed Ted Thompson never ever special um, put emphasis on his special teams, and well, it's come back to bite us in the ass. What were you, AJ? Who who do you believe we should be putting some blame on today for this loss? Uh well, that we have the Packers fan on, so he was able to go a bit more in depth as to some of the issues that that team has been having. So I appreciate that, Justin. Coming from your perspective as a fan, I get that. I just understand it and appreciate it. I understand it. <laughs> you want to go with Aaron Rodgers, and I have no problem, you know. Just so, so don't, so don't. No, 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 I'm not, but I am, I am honestly letting you know that I, because I, I, those things that you mentioned, I was not aware of. Like, I was not aware of how bad an issue um, special teams was for the Packers. So I, I do appreciate the insight into that, right? But I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers. A.A. Ron. I have to say it because at what point, at what point do we actually start blaming him for losing? Every time the Packers don't get the job done, there's another excuse. We heard in the past, well, he won with Mike McCarthy, but then Mike McCarthy became the problem. And, and I mean, we're not saying that, it, that he isn't because none of us up to this point still thinks that McCarthy is good, right? Good. Then we also heard it was Brian G for some of the moves that he made. Um, there was a whole big furor when... Jordan Love was drafted instead of a wide receiver. Um, last year, it was Matt LaFleur for not putting the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands on that fourth down play. Mind you, I still think that that, that Bucks defense that was so spectacular would have been able to make a stop. However, it was the, the, the blame went mainly on the floor, and he had to stand up at the podium and say, yeah, well, he didn't make the best decision, blah, blah, blah. At no point in time do I feel like there's enough conversation surrounding Aaron Rodgers not being able to get it done. And this is, this is, un, this is, is unfathomable and is, is, it's just not good enough. There's no way, and mind you, he did have 229, 225 yards, 20, off to, 20 from 29. Man did not have a single touchdown in this game, bro. That's inexcusable. When I look at that, despite the fact that the game was very offensive, he was brought down five times and all that. But the X factor in games like this, where you're coming up against a, a, a team with, with a, a very special defense, the X factor is supposed to be this quarterback who can extend and, and make plays. And Rodgers, with me, has no excuse for not being able to score a single touchdown in this game. Y'all lost by three points. If he had only one more, 
Well, not one more, because he had none. If he had only one, the Packers could have won this game. Listen, I, 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 it's fair to acknowledge how good this Niners defense is because they have been propping up Jimmy Garoppolo like, like, like he's Pinocchio before he was a real boy, right? But listen, it's not good enough for it's not a good look on Aaron Rodgers that the man was unable to score a single touchdown in a playoff game when you're at home when you just had a bye week uh, a week to prepare for this team. I'm not looking at anyone past Aaron Rodgers at this. The, my blame is solely on him. So, Justin, it's not like if I'm here to pile on with Aaron Rodgers. I'll take, like, I give on social <laughs> media, so trust me. And as again, as I said, I'm not here to give Aaron Rodgers a pass, so keep coming. No, but the thing is, I'm actually kind of between the two of you because I believe that there is lots of blame to go around, but I do not believe that Aaron Rodgers wholly and solely is the one that we have to be looking at today. So Aaron Rodgers, he went, as AJ mentioned, 20 or 29 for 225 yards, no touchdowns. For me, the bigger issue on top of the fact that he didn't score any touchdowns is that we had 18 of his 20 completions split even between Devonta Adams and Aaron Jones. Mm -hmm. Of the 225 yards that he managed to put up in this game, 219 yards went between Devante Adams, 90, and Aaron Jones, 129. Mm -hmm. Now you come into this game knowing that the Niners are going to do whatever they can to, can to take Adams out of the game. So you need to get others more involved. And as the bad man, according to Stephen A. Smith, you would expect then that the bad man can get more done. And as you guys both said, you're playing at home where you were so happy to tell the world after you won the game in week 17, everything has to come through Lambo. Everybody has to come through Lambo. But guess what? Lambeau seems to be a really short trip because no, nobody else has to come through Lambeau this season. Secondly, then it was the special teams. You have a block field goal and a block punt. The block punt directly resulted in a touchdown. The block field goal, when you put the two of them together, that was a 10-point swing. And up until the, field, the punt sorry, was blocked and the 49ers scored on that, there was no indication that the 49ers were ever going to find any kind of offense and any kind of points. And as you may mention, for the majority of Aaron Rodgers' career in Green Bay, the one thing that he has had to go up against, not just against the opposition, but the fact that he did not have a credible defense behind him, which would help to limit the opposition so he does not have to put up these Herculean efforts every single time. Mm -hmm. But your defense restricted the 49ers to 212 yards, 106 yards down the middle, passing and running. No offensive touchdowns. You got to win that game, bro. You have to win that game. And the thing is, right, as you mentioned, the first point, only two players really contributing in the passing game. 
is not a shocker because if you know the human being well enough or you've seen enough packet games, he has a lack of trust in people not named those two players. Mm-hmm. And what happened in the game, and I figured it was going to happen, he had a wide open Josiah DeGuar, who is our third string tight end. Um, as we all know, Robert Tunyon is, was lost this season. Mm-hmm. And Mercedes Lewis is really a blocking tight end. So Josiah DeGuar had a wide open first down middle field. No one was near. And he dropped the simple one. Aaron Rodgers never looked back at him since. And that's the guy the guy he is. Like, you get put in doghouse when you make mistakes. Mm-hmm. He is not a guy that's going to come back to you. And when it comes to catching the football, he knows or he trusts Devontae Adams. He trusts Aaron Jones and very little else. I knew it was going to be a problem when Marquez Valdez-Scantlin didn't play in this game because I think the offense would have done better. I'm not, again, giving any, any free passes here. Huh? But MVS is our burner. He's a guy who takes the top off of defenses. Mm-hmm. Without him on the field, defenses know they can sit down. Devontae Adams is not exactly the fastest guy on the field. Like, you know, he's, going, he's a possession receiver. Mm-hmm. He's going to work in middles. He's going to work inside, but he's not going to exactly beat you deep every time. Without Marquez Valdez scanning on the field, I knew our chances of explosive plays were not going to happen. And that means then San Francisco can sit close to the lane, sitting on our routes. But again, the issue of lack of trust, because on the very last drive, our offensive drive, the ball in which he throws to Devontae Adams in double coverage, Alan Lazard is wide open on the G. There's no one within five yards of mm-hmm. Alan Lazard sitting down at half field. And I mean, you get the ball there, the very least, you're not giving back the ball to San Francisco. You're not losing in regulation. I have to feel that we're going to get within field goal range, but at the very least, as I said, you don't you don't give back possession and you don't lose for sure. That you don't lose. And I you know, but it again comes down to somebody dropped a pass, so I'm only looking at two players. I I'm just just to, to get in a, here again, um, you see that for me, and that makes it even worse because you have to trust your players. And you have to. Wh- when when it was we, I, I saw that Mercedes Lewis, Lewis actually had only one reception. I remember he dropped something very early on. And, and he had a fumble. And a fumble, a fumble. Yeah, correct. A fumble. So I, his other catch, I can't even recall. His other catch was, his sole catch was after that then. No, that's his sole it, catch. Was, if I tell you, like, Aaron Rodgers is not actually, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. So, yeah, it would count as a catch and fumble. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. That, those were the additional six yards of the two twenty. Yes. Right. Right. No, no. Well, I'm seeing in the stats say that there's no yards. It's Alan Lazard had one catch for six yards. That, that oh. that's what it. Yeah, it's Lazard. Right. Mm-hmm. But and, um, I was getting to the point that it was when was it that y'all had to play the Cardinals and we had when we were doing our prime time picking. I picked the Packers to win that game because I put faith in Aaron Rodgers, saying that you know what the fact that he doesn't have Devontae Adams means that he will get production from everyone else. In a playoff game, is not time to shy away from that and, and go. There's literally three men I was involved with this offense outside of our others. No, two. Really two. Like, well, well, two yeah, because I'm, look, I'm looking at it, AJ Dillon didn't seem to do much either. But, I mean, he's, he had a well, touchdown, he, which is why I mentioned him. He Oh, sorry, because he got injured 
in the game and had to leave. Not, he had a chance. Is, see, I, okay, I, so I, I didn't. That, that makes sense as to why he only had seven carries. But yeah, he got so hurt. Good. So then, two. yeah. Look, I this I I I don't want to pile up on AA Ron anymore. But this Keep is coming. it is dominant. It's dominant. It, like, you can't you can't be doing that at this stage, though. Like I said, one touchdown from him, one us, one touchdown could have changed this game. But it is what it is. I, I'm just not at the point now where I'm willing to make any excuses for him because I have piled on uh, and, and held other QBs feet to the fire in, in this same situation. So it would be very remiss of me to not do the same for Rogers right now. Every time Drew Brees played, bad, played badly, I let Ken hear it. So I've got to do it with AA right now. I'm with you. As I said, I'm not here to give Aaron Rodgers a pass. Nope. All right. So after we, we've given Justin a chance, you know, to unburden his soul, <laughs> now we move over to the other game on Saturday. Now, this is the one game that I would not have seen much of because it started while the sun was still high in the sky. And by the time the sun dipped below the horizon, we were now getting into the fourth quarter. And that is the Tennessee Titans who lost again at the first hurdle against the upstart Cincinnati Bengals, 19 to 16 at home to another walk-off field goal. Now the Titans D, they kept Joe Burrow from scoring a passing touchdown, but their offense struggled on the day, even with King Henry returning. Cincinnati's defense kept Henry balled up, only managing 62 yards on 20 carries, and Ryan Tannehill struggled mightily, connecting on 15 of his 24 passes for 220 yards, one touchdown, and three picks. No, Justin, you would not necessarily be aware of this, but there is a running joke between AJ and myself with regards to one Ryan Tannehill versus Baker Mayfield. So... That that has been going now for the like, last two or so seasons. Yeah, so like that joke I, hamstring, that joke hamstring pull pull itself. You know? I, <laughs> I, need, I don't even know if that's running anymore, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so the question that I have for both of you, and I'll let AJ go first on this. When we look at this Tennessee Titans team, is Ryan Tannehill the ceiling? Does he cap their potential? Uh, in a manner of speaking, yes. Um, I mean, I've come around to admitting that, you know what, at this stage, because when you and I had that discussion, that was like last season, um, I believe it was, when Baker was actually showing some potential. At this stage, I'm willing to admit, I'd, the lesser of evils here is Ryan Tannehill. I'd still have Ryan Tannehill in my team over Baker, right? But Ryan Tannehill is not the QB you want in a team that is supposed to be a Super Bowl contender. He's not. He's not going to make those plays. And I'm not going to pile on him like, like I just did with Aaron because I know the potential that Rodgers has in this game. Tannehill has never been that. And the Titans, um, their issues to me stem not just offensively, but the secondary is still not very good. Secondary is, mind you, Joe Burr Joe Burrow will be saying that he didn't have his best game. I still had 348 yards here. <laughs> 348 yards with no touchdowns, but still. And only one pick inside here. So, um, yeah, the Titans secondary is notoriously bad. And it has been for some time. Uh, 
but just referring to to the Tannehill thing, I, I, I to answer the question, I think that yeah, that yes, that he is the ceiling as long as you have Ryan Tannehill in here. It's not you're not going to be you're not going to be that team because I mentioned before your quarterback being your X factor, having to come up in these situations and make plays. It's not going to be Tannehill. Week in and week out, he could do that. When when you have like a fit Derrick Henry, even after Derrick Henry went down. And we saw, like, well, AP didn't work out for very long. They all they didn't work out. But still, the other guys who came from the Deontay Foreman, especially, when they have a really good running game, cool. And he'll, you know, have some RPOs in there and, and help him out. And he, he would make it look decent. But when it comes to needing to make plays at this kind, because kind of, I've been, I've been telling you as well, I don't trust these Titans. And that had to do with Tannehill. And I did, even though I did not. I still haven't physically done my bracket. When we were speaking last week, I did tell you that. And this, this was bearing in mind that the Bengals were playing the Titans. I did tell you that the Bengals, to me, could go all the way to the AFC Championship game. Yeah. It, it had a lot to do with the opposition. And they need to move on. There are other things that the Titans need to work on, but getting somebody else under center should be a priority. Okay. What about you, Justin? Is Tannehill the cap on this team? Um, and the thing is, before this season, I was a Ryan Tannehill fan because I know his limitations, but I figured he was the best fit for this team, or at least this team was the best fit for him, simply because you have the beast that is Derrick Henry and the offense rolls through rolls right around that. Like, you know, everything fits around that. Mm-hmm. You run the football, run the football, and then if anything, you play action, naked boot like out of that. So then just like what Kevin Stefanski does with Baker Mayfield, you are limiting Ryan Tannehill's touches. You are reducing his reads and making the game simple for him. So you're limiting his touches, you limit the opportunities he has to turn over the football. The issue is here in this game now, you're not having a fully fit Derrick Henry. That's clearly he was out for what eight to nine weeks. Mm-hmm. And now you're asking him with a serious foot injury and the size and weight that he carries on his feet to come back and carry the offense. And my issue though is that Foreman didn't have enough touches in my estimation. Like I just had the exact same thought because I'm I'm just looking at the box over here and realize he had four. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you, but yeah, the exact same thought just went in and just crossed through my mind as you mentioned that. Foreman had, didn't have enough touches. And obviously, Cincinnati, unknown to a lot of people, they are a sneaky good run defense. And then you're loading the box and daring Ryan, Ryan Tannehill to beat you. But it's still feel you can't fall into that trap. Granted, there, Henry still had 20 touches. But I thought Foreman should have gotten more because the moment that you're asking Ryan Tannehill to do too much, you're seeing it there like three interceptions. That, could, that should come as no surprise to anyone who knows Ryan Tannehill. No, as I told you all, I was a Ryan Tannehill fan before this season, thinking that this system, this team is a perfect fit for him. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, yes, he's a cap, and this is going to prevent Tennessee from contending going forward simply because the state of the AFC when the Titans got to the AFC Championship game, this is no longer the same conference. And I'll explain why. Yes, you already have Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, but now you are seeing the rise 
of also Josh Allen, who is arguably an MVP candidate. I think he has like the greatest QBR and quarterback rating of any quarterback in the history of playoffs. Taking some ridiculous 149 of anybody with a minimum of 50 attempts. So you're seeing Josh Allen. Now you're seeing the raise of Joe Burrow. Justin Herbert is going to be thrown into the mix at some point. You will not be able to beat these teams with a substandard quarterback because they are going to have elite play at the quarterback position. We're talking about Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow. All five of these teams are in your conference, and all five of these quarterbacks are elite quarterback talents. Yes, unfortunately, Ryan Tannehill caps their talent or their ability to win. The issue is right now, I am not sure that they can find a better quarterback unless Matt Ryan is up for to, to, to trade. Like, yeah, the outside of trading for Matt Ryan, I don't see how Tennessee improves at that position. So, I'm not a Matt Ryan fan. Everybody knows that. Not just because he's in my division, but he's not convinced me, especially when we look at what happened since 28 to 3. But to answer the question that I, that I asked, I will have to concede to both of you that, yes, a better quarterback would be able to get more out of this Tennessee team than what Tannehill has managed. But while Tannehill is a limitation on the team, he's not the only one. When you look at the numbers for this season, Tannehill completed 67% of his passes for 3,734 yards and 21 touchdowns on a team that prioritizes running the football. He was better than the league average because the league average this season was 65%. But when you start looking at the Tennessee Titans as a squad, as a club, this team has been bounced out of the playoffs at the first hurdle in the last two seasons. Now, Justin, you may mention of um, Baltimore and Lamar Jackson. Baltimore beat them last season. First game up, they were out. Now this season, they come back and they're knocked out again. First hurdle by Cincinnati. Now, you have to look at Vrabel in this because while I believe that Vrabel is a good coach and he does get his team to play for him and they play hard, and they won the division two years in a row. He wasn't wrong when he came up on the podium and said that he too needed to be better, not just for this team, but also in the postseason. Now, when you look at the numbers, you see that Derrick Henry had 20 touches, as you may mention of Deontay Foreman, he only had four. You know who also had a very few number, a small number of touches in that game? AJ, what's his last name? AJ Brown. Bro. AJ Brown had five catches for 142 yards and a touchdown. Mm. If you have a wide receiver who is doing as much as, as that, take AJ Brown and put him on the, one of the things that we're going to talk about next, the San Francisco 49ers. He is doing everything that Debo Samuel is doing. He's getting all of those kinds of touches because he's a playmaker. You get the ball in his hand and he does what you want him to do. Vrabel has to look at what he is doing and see how he himself is handicapping this team as well. Because 
he needs to find a way for them to be better and more balanced offensively as opposed to it's not even just run first, but it almost seems that run always. But I mean, I don't disagree with you, Ken. Vrabel is a defensive mind and he has to get better on the other end. And unfortunately for him, he lost his offensive coordinator to your division in Arthur Smith. But again, you touched on the same thing they said. Who are the two teams that they've lost to in successive playoffs? You said Cincinnati Bengals and you said Baltimore Ravens. And they just made a list of five quarterbacks. Two of those quarterbacks are of the five I just mentioned. Yep. They, you are not going to win or you're not going to get far within that conference with Ryan Tannehill at your quarterback, or at least the Ryan Tannehill we saw this season because all of the other quarterbacks are so much better. And I mean, it, the unfortunate situation is this league has now become a quarterback-driven league. You're not going to win without at least a B-plus level quarterback. And I mean, winning the playoffs, it, it, that's just it. Oddly enough, San Fran finds a way to do it with Jimmy Garoppolo, but that's because their team is built just to run, 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 and then run some more. And if we had a competent special teams, the Jimmy Garoppolo run would have ended. And then even then, Shanahan still went and drafted the kid from that lower division. I'll keep forgetting his name. But yeah, they still went and used a top five draft pick on a quarterback because he too understands this is the quarterback driven me. All right. So after we have covered the AFC, well, the number one seed, and you know, it was remarkable that on Saturday, both number one seeds for the first time since I think it was 2010 or something like that. This is the first time that both number one seeds got knocked out in the divisional round. But after Saturday, of course, you know, then we're on to Sunday. And Sunday was a much better day for football offensively. <laughs> and as we had two much better offensive performances, you know, first we have to pick where we're going to go. And first we're going to Tampa, where the NFC South champion Buccaneers went up against the NFC West champion Los Angeles Rams. From 27 to 3 to 27 all, we thought Brady had done it again. He brought his team back from the abyss to force overtime with all of the momentum. But Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford burned their secondary and got down the field in 31 seconds to clock the ball with four seconds left, kicking the winning field goal. So, and AJ, I'm going to start with you on this one. Did the Rams win it, or did the Buccaneers give it away? Um, again, I'll reference last week and what we spoke about, and even as a, a Brady disciple here, I again have on my Tom Brady jersey. You know that this is my guy. But last week, I told you this is the worst possible matchup for him. Mm-hmm. And I told you I actually expect the Rams to win this game. Because as, as, as much as I would have loved to see Tom win the game and, and prove me wrong, I just didn't see how it was going to happen. The stri- like, I, like I was telling you last week, right? The Rams are, they're coming together at the right time. And their strengths basically 
coincide with the Bucks' weaknesses. So I mentioned in the game against Arizona how um, sparingly Matt Stafford was used, right? This time, knowing that the Bucks had that like terrible secondary and terrible and banged up inconsistent secondary, Matthew Stafford had 38 attempts, which is almost double what he had the week before, something like that. Completed 28 of them. 366 yards, passing touchdowns, and for once did not throw a pick. It kind of tells you a lot because the last half of the of his season has been the man has man has been sharing picks like he owns a guitar shop. But this is the one time, this is the one time he was able to seemingly get it together. Then on the other side of the ball, I told you, I mentioned that I think the Rams defense especially, and I even went back on what I said about Von Miller. Von Miller is starting to, to look, uh, let me not say the Von Miller of prime, but at least some semblance of it, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it was going to be a problem for Tom. It was going to be, mind you, talk, and, and then again, uh, um, with the Tom just getting Leonard Fournette back from injury, but we know how these things go, right? These guys don't be healthy, but when they're needed, when their team needs them, they will come back and play as long as they can be at least like 70%, 75%, you know? There's no way Leonard Fournette was, was um, like totally fit for this game. He had 13 carries, 51 yards. Um, let me see. He still did have like nine catches or whatnot, but I, uh, with the amount of time that he missed, I, I don't believe that, that he was ready for this game. And that, that is Tom's guy. That's who we trusted. So he, he kind of did have Tom's stats looking a little better and whatnot. But I told you, Ken, this was a bad matchup. And I'm, I'm not going to take that away from the Rams. I think um, even with um, Mike Evans getting 119 yards, Gronk had 85. I was not convinced. I was not convinced. And, and, and oh, sorry. And I was going to end, it, end this by saying, yeah, I wasn't convinced that the Bucs still had enough. And, and the very final play is a summation of, of what the Bucs had become in a lot of part of the season. And, and basically what they were struggling with. That secondary, I mean, Cooper Cup is already elite, right? But the, the fact that Matthew Stafford was actually able to connect there and, and like not choke, it says a lot about where the Rams have come now as a team at, at this at the right time in their season based on what they're aiming to do. And I just, as much as I didn't want to have faith in them before, I had to, I, I expected them to win and they did. So I'm, I, I can't sit here in good faith and say that the Bucks blew it. The Rams did their job. What about you, Justin? Yeah, the Rams, like what AJ said, the Rams won this game. And the only reason this game looked close is because the Rams were trained to give it away. Like, the four fumbles let Tampa Bay right back into this game in a game that they had no business being in. AJ said it all. Like, this is just a very, very bad matchup. There's a reason why the Rams blew them out during the regular season. And there's a reason why they were blowing them out during this playoff game. And they should have continued blowing them out. The, the, the strength of the Bucks is that front seven and stopping the run. That's what they want to do. They stop the run. Mm -hmm. Vita Vea, JPP, and Dambuka and Sue, and then the two great linebackers between, behind them all, Devin White and Levante David. As much as we saw what the Rams did with the Cardinals, the reality is the Rams don't want to run the football. No team operates out of three wide receivers more so 
than the Los Angeles Rams. They want to spread you and throw the ball all around the park. And AJ touched on it. That secondary is banged up, and it is bad. And Matthew Stafford had a field day as well as Cooper Cup because that secondary just is not good enough. And on top of the fact that the Buccaneers secondary is not good enough, for as good as their front seven is at stopping run, it is not a very good pass rushing unit. And to AJ's point, I'm talking about the last play in which Cooper Cup got open. The reason is, is that they had to send an all-out blitz to get home to, to rush Stafford. And mm-hmm. if your quarterback is any good and can pick up where the blitz is coming from, you're going to be toast. So with the connection of Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford, that's never going to work. And that's because Tampa can't get home to the quarterback with just rushing four, rushing five. And apparently there was a, I don't know, a missed call or misassignment because Carlton Davis backed to the blitz and apparently he was supposed to come too. But I don't think that makes any difference. This was just a bad matchup. And the only reason this game was close, and weirdly enough, it wasn't because of Stafford, the Rams just was fumbling the ball and letting them get into this game. This should have been a three-four square rope. So I want to say, like, the Rams won this game, and it's just really, really, really a bad matchup. And to add, to finish this point, sorry, if you're going to get after that Rams defense, you're going to have to be able to run the ball and run the ball astutely. Again, AJ mentioned, Leonard Fournette is coming off of an injury, just, just coming back from injury, and the Buccaneers are not exactly the best rushing attack. On top of that, no, you're asking Brady to drop back and pass a lot, and he's missing Chris Godwin. He's missing Antonio Brown. And then, no, you are playing right into their hands because that round's front wants to rush. They have Aaron Donald. They have Leonard Floyd and the guy that AJ just mentioned in, in, in Vaughn Miller. To slow that front down, you run at it. But mm-hmm. Buccaneers were not good enough. And again, Tristan Wurst was missing. So that's an added line, uh, offensive lineman that A, can't slow down that defensive front, and B, can't help you to run the football. This was just always a bad matchup. And I am shocked that they didn't win by at least 14 points. So, you know, I may mention on my bracket, my NFC side of the bracket got completely destroyed. <laughs> I actually picked the Buccaneers to win this game. and I saw you, Ken. Now, the funny thing is, last week, AJ, you remember I said, lose this week, lose next week. I don't care as long as you lose. Yeah. So, <laughs> them losing this week, a week early, well, that's gravy for me. Now, for the notes that I had and the analysis that I made of this game, you guys have covered all of those points. So, allow me to freestyle just for a moment. So... <laughs> Remember, AJ, at the beginning of the season, when they talked about how the Buccaneers were bringing back all of their starters from the previous year, I told you that did not matter. It sounds really good and it looks good on paper to say that you have everybody coming back, but in the grand scheme of things, it does not matter because who starts the season almost never finishes the season. But guess what happened? Who was supposed to start the season on defense Finished the season. They had all 11 starters from their previous season on defense in this game. And guess what happened? They still got smoked. So that's, that's number one. Now, I, you can hear the excitement in my voice because I was too happy to see that 
a Stan Kroenke team actually proved me wrong and they did what I wanted them to do in a moment that it was important. So you had all your defensive starters and it didn't work out. And then you look at what happened on the other side of the ball. So as, as Justin may mention, the only thing that got them back into the game was the fact that the Rams would not stop grasping the football. Four fumbles. This is the first time that a team in the playoffs has lost four fumbles and still won the game. And up until the point when they started grasping the football, you know what was happening on the other side? Brady was over here getting his first ever taunting call, cussing out the refs, because he, oh, to be fair, he did get hit a little high. But yeah. the refs said after, they didn't think that the way he got hit rise to the level of a 15-yard penalty. And finally, somebody told Brady, you need to take your place. You cannot be over here cussing out refs. Like, if you are the head ref, no, play the football, we will throw the flags. So he got 15 yards for that. Somebody might have said, oh, but no, Brady's vexed. No, you don't want to get Brady upset. But Brady upset, then threw a pick, a really bad pick, into double coverage to the slowest receiver that he had on the field in Rob Gronkowski. Brady was not good in this game up until that point. We can say that, well, you can't call it empty calories because he brought them back from 27 to 3 up to 27 all. But the fact still remains that up until that point, he was not good. He was not good. So I will not say I was in good conscience. And I'm glad that I'm wearing my colors today because in good conscience, I could never come and say that the Buccaneers gave this game away. No, they did everything that they could to try to get back into the game. And the Rams were doing a 49ers impression and giving them every opportunity to do so. But it just came up short because the Rams were better. Rams were better on the day. Said it's just a bad matchup for them. Yeah, I, I, I picked the Rams. So like, I can't, <laughs> I, I can't argue against you there. Do so now think the Rams are just a better team? So now the question that is ev- that is on everybody's lips, not just today, but going forward until something definitively is said, is what happens with Brady? So after the game, the conversation was, Brady, are you coming back? And Brady is like, well, you know, honestly, fellas, I'm not thinking about anything past five minutes from now. And we've been seeing a lot of the conversation now coming out where he has been talking about his wife and his family and, you know, they might want him to do more things and he wants to be there more for his family. So, Brady Disciple, is Brady done? It, this, this almost feels ominous to me. Like, I had, I had in, I mentioned to you guys off air before we started recording that I actually had as one of my jokes or what the what or the weekend, the fact that he seemingly addressed his football mortality more so than he seems to do, that, that he has done in, in the recent past, right? Like he would always, he was al- always nip that notion in the bud by saying, no, I'm, I want to play till I'm 45, and he's always stuck to that. This time felt a bit ominous. It, it, it just felt like if, you know what, 
it might be time. Even though he said, yeah, I'm not thinking about five minutes past. No, um, cool. But it just had a different feel to it, the way he was approaching the question. Like he would actually sit down now and consider it. And you know, I, I don't want to believe it until I see it. It's kind of hard for me. It's kind of hard for me to envision it happening. But let me just say that I would not be surprised if he called it a day in this offseason. I actually would not be surprised. I, I, I think if, if I had to weigh them or could like do a little ratio, I would be more surprised if he came back. I think it is it's kind of like, or in terms of like not coming back to coming back, I would probably say it's like 40, 60. I'd be more surprised if he actually came back. I, 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 it, it just felt different to me. The entire feeling was different. It was like, and I, we know that he's not the type of guy that would want to go on a loss, but the fact that he entertained it a bit more than, like I said, than usual in this manner right after a loss, it just, it felt, it felt really different. What about you, Justin? I will do what AJ refuses to do. And I understand <laughs> why AJ can't say because, you know, that's his quarterback and he doesn't want to admit to the mortality and that he's done. He's returned. He's done. And it's to, again, what AJ said, like, all the years, recent years, when he's asked, he immediately shuts it down and says, no, I'm coming back, or I want to play to this and that. And you just felt like, you know, it kind of feels like the emotional and physical toll has now caught up and, I think non-football players and fans need don't understand what it takes, not just to play a season, but just to get into preparation for one. And this is what, you no know, age of what, 22, 23 seasons that he's played. That is a lot of football, even mm -hmm. if you're playing the quarterback position and not getting hit as often as everyone else. But yeah, he's done. And why really believe that the reports coming out of the organization itself. There are Buccaneers, people who are seeing they will be shocked if he returns. They, they are getting the sense that this guy is done and he is not coming back to the organization. And if he's not coming back to the organization, I don't see where else Tom would go anyway. I mean, he's still under contract, right? So he, he, he's done. I, I think the 22, 23 years has been enough. The physical and mental toll his children are older now and, quite frankly, doesn't need the money of football for everything, he's, the contracts he has and the TB12, on top of the fact that he has a superstar wife who makes more money than he does. So, yeah, I really do think he's done. He has nothing more to accomplish. <coughs> so, sorry. Thank you so much. But, yeah, so he will do what AJ can't do and say that Tom is basically retired. And I think the only reason... We haven't heard it, no. I've come to respect a like Tom, no, since I've seen post-New England Brady. And I've getting to see some clips from Man in the Arena. I think I understand a human being, no. And I think what he's doing is just not taking his spotlight away from the playoffs and the Super Bowl. I think after everything is said and done, when, when these playoffs are over, I think he's going to announce his retirement then. So... It's nice, Justin, that you mentioned Man in the Arena. I have not been able to watch Man in the Arena. Shit. Because... I actually haven't as yet either. 
No, the, the reason why I've not been able to watch Man in the Arena is because it is really, really, you have no idea how hard it will be for me to sit down and watch seven, it's 10 episodes, and I know seven of those episodes are him winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, I, to answer the question I asked if Brady is done, I do believe he's also done. I wish he was done two seasons ago. I Don't be off. He never came to my division. I wish he never broke the records that Breeze had. And it was only a matter of who retires last would be the all-time passing leader in the NFL. Because at the rate that the two of them were going, Breeze was in a steady decline and Brady was still at least carrying the water. So when you take that into consideration, I have, like you, Justin, I have come to appreciate the Tampa Bay Brady much more than I ever did when he wore that ugly jersey that AJ is right now. So when, when I look at it now, to AJ's point, it does feel different. It does feel like if there's a lot more finality in what's happening, what he's saying. I just wish it happened sooner. Yeah, I, I would have been happy. <laughs> I would have been happy. I would have applauded him off the field. If he, when he was leaving New England, he just said, all right, fellas, that's a wrap. Um, you, you know he will have to sign a one-day contract with us whenever he gets his solid out so he could retire, officially retire a pack. But um, uh, one thing I wanted to add and forgot before too, one of the reasons why I do believe, <laughs> why I believe strongly that this is it for him is with regards to uh, not just the finality of his, or the, that final, finality feeling of his statements, but it seems as though he has been, as in Tampa Bay, Tom, has been setting up his post-retirement self. A lot of, he, he seems to be in a lot more projects. He has more things going on. Um, you mentioned Justin, the TB12, but he just also launched something else. I can't remember the name, it's Brady something. It could be more nutrition stuff. I, I only saw it, I think, recently. I can't recall the details of it, but he's doing more things because we know that he's not going to get into coaching or going to get into TV and um, being a TV analyst when he's done. When he's done with football, he is done with, with the football in this regard, right? And it just felt like he was, he has so many wheels in motion on different projects that or with all of those take, things taken into consideration, just, Justin also mentioned something that, that was being discussed and is the fact that his kids are getting older and we know that the kind of effort he puts into being a football player is something that is obviously going to take away because he's not going to half-ass anything. So it's, it's obviously taking away from family time. And man probably don't, not probably, but obviously he wants to spend more time with his kids before, you know, he has a cats in the cradle situation. So, so it, it just might be it, but I can't say it. As you said, as you said about Drew Brees, Ken, I'm not going to eulogize my QB until he actually comes out and says it. That is fair. That is I, I am I am here for you, my brother. As I said, <laughs> this week's episode, 
is all about therapy and I know my therapy session is coming. But before we get to that, we do have the game of the year to talk about. And that, that was the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Buffalo Bills. And this game resembled tennis because it was from one side of the field to the other and back. It was, it was just constant and it was more like a track meet than a football game because the way these offenses were playing, we probably would still be watching that game if the same rules were different. <laughs> now, for those who did not watch the game, I implore you, find however you can. And even if you don't necessarily want to watch from beginning to end, just watch the fourth quarter into overtime. So I, I was trying to find the number. I could not find it fast enough for the recording of this show. But it was like 185 yards for Patrick Mahomes after the two-minute warning, including overtime. Mm. And <clears throat> excuse me, when you look and you see that the Buffalo Bills pretty much played the perfect game, offensively at least, and lost, it brings to mind the question, what do you do when perfection is not enough? And Justin, I'll give you first crack at that. What, what does Buffalo do after this loss? No. I don't know what they do other than the fact that Sean McDermott just has to get better at coaching. And going into this game, right, I one of our last guests in the show, a guy, Jermall Edwards from Stuff About Sports. He's a big Bills fan. And he, you know, kind of gets at me for not believing in Buffalo. And I told him, I like so many pieces in Buffalo. I love Josh Allen to a particular extent. But I told him the reason I don't believe in Buffalo is because I don't believe in Sean McDermott. And you say perfection, but I can point to a couple of places where Sean McDermott was found wanting this game. And it just shows why coaching in big moments in key situations matters. So let's get to Josh Allen's last touchdown. You have 13 seconds to protect a three-point lead to put yourself in the AFC Championship game. And I kid you not, this is not for the purposes of the show. I feel like I've said this now for the fourth time in the three days. As Buffalo's about to kick off, my wife is watching the game with me. And I said this, like, even without her prompting, I said, okay, well, what you're going to see now, Buffalo's going to squib kick the ball. And she asks, what's a squib kick? And I explain her. So then, lo and behold, Buffalo boots the ball into the end zone. And she looks at me like, yeah, what do you know about football? And I can only shake my head <laughs> because, like, I could not believe it. Like, I don't know which coach have watched so much football. I don't know. I've ever seen a scenario where the coach does not boot or does not elect for a script kick to first take seconds off the clock and ensure, secondly, that that team does not have a free start at a 25-yard line. Like, like, mm -hmm. At the very least, two seconds are coming off that clock. Mm -hmm. It is almost like Buffalo thought they already won the game. So then you get you know, to the situation. You have you now 13 seconds. And watching enough sports now altogether, I've come to understand 
players over plays. There is no way, right, that I am going to let either Travis Kelsey and or Tyreek Hill beat me in this situation. Like, Kansas City have, has timeouts in this situation. So taking away the sideline is a joke. Like, it doesn't make any sense taking away the sideline. Mm. Obviously, you have to protect the end zone. But protecting the sideline is not important because Kansas City has their timeouts. You have to tell yourself, if somebody's going to beat you, let it be Pringle, let it be Bacoa Hartman. It cannot be Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, and it cannot be Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill free over the middle of the field. Because, again, it doesn't matter if they complete the ball in the middle of the field, they have timeouts. It, it does not matter taking the sideline away. And we sat down and watched during the entire season or during the season when Kansas City was having their problems. Teams were playing too high safety, giving them that middle of the field. And over the course of the season, Patrick Mahomes got comfortable taking the middle of the field with those two players. He got comfortable. He got better at it. And then in that same game, we saw Tyreek Hill when he had that wave goodbye, even though there were still two defenders to beat. You gave him the astuces. You gave Tyreek Hill the middle of the field on an in route. He took it and scored on that. Players over players, you have to make sure that Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill do not beat you. Anything else, no one wants to beat you behind deep, and those two players can't beat you. I would hope that Leslie Fraser conducted his coaching interviews before that game because <laughs> that game, the, the, that last scenario, that last 30 seconds and overtime are not good to put on your resume for a head coaching job. It really isn't. But Sean McDermott, as I told Jermall before the game started, his decision-making towards the end of big games in crucial situations has got to get a lot better because Josh Allen was the best player on that field and it was not close. Josh Allen won that game at least three separate times. At least three times Josh Allen won that game. And it's just heartbreaking to see that Sean McDermott lost it in, in the end of regulation. So what about you, AJ? So yeah, maybe I may have been a little um, over the top when I said that they played a perfect game. But when you look at that, where does your blame go then for the Bills losing this game? Uh, so I understand what Justin said too. And again, I appreciate the insight because I did, um, I was in the in a state of just doing so much talking while the game was going on because friends and I were watching it. So I didn't even consider that myself, but you're absolutely correct. Um, that, that should have been what they did. So that the decision-making on the coaching side is something that you have to question. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been, I, you know, deep down within me, I hope the Bills don't do anything and they continue to lose in this manner. It, 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 it bodes well for me. However, <laughs> from, from, a more, from a more objective standpoint, I've, I've been speaking all season long about how this team just cannot effectively run the football and, and it affects them offensively. Devin Singletary is still in the answer, bro. He, I mean, he, even though he, he looked good against Mike Pats, Devin Singletary is not the way to go forward with an offense. This team just can't run the ball. I, I, so Justin mentioned the coaching and you know what? That, that may be something to, to look at as well. 
completely get that. But I need to, I feel like I need to still mention the fact that I don't believe in this team because they can't run the football. You have to run the football in, 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 in the playoffs. You're not going to get away with just as great as Josh Allen is. Because look, when, when you meet up some, someone on the other side, you can't, you can't be one-dimensional and win. And, win and, and, and can you know that the, the conversation about luck and the, uh, the rule, the overtime rule came up, and I, I still don't believe in that. I have no problem with this rule. The, this defense that was a top-ranked defense should have been able to make some stuff. I, I mean, they were getting gas for the entire game, so that's fair enough. But it should have been able to. Um, it, 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 oh, the, the only thing I thought when the game ended was that, it, it, for me, it, it kind of went straight back to the point where this team is too reliant on Josh Allen, man. They are, too, they are way too reliant on Josh Allen to just pull wins out of nowhere. I mean, I, 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 this is a sorry, seeing on the, on the off offensive side, because the defense, they had statistically the best defense in the league in, in the regular season, but that actually means nothing when you're playing a talent like Patrick Mahomes, as was evidenced, right? So, so then it, co it comes down to what you can do offensively. And it's not as if the, the Chiefs have been great at it either, way, um, either sorry. Um, but they still get more done. Andy Reid is a much better coach than Sean McDermott, so he will find ways to win. But the, my very first thought after all that was just the Bills being too one-dimensional. And I think that, for me, is something that they will have to work on. And to, you know, to piggyback off that point, AJ, if you're so relayed on Josh Allen, then you have to be relayed on all of his skills. And yes, he led the team in rushing, but a lot of that was scrambling more so than design. Exactly. More so than design quarterback runs. And they had a problem with that. I thought that if they were going to win this game, right, that they were going to win it on Josh Allen's legs because Kansas City does have a problem stopping the run. Mm -hmm. And I thought that they did not, this is going to sound weird, they did not lean heavily enough on Josh Allen's complete package. I don't think that there were enough naked bootlegs. I don't think there were enough quarterback draw calls. I don't think there were enough quarterback power calls in that game. You have to, like, the threat of Josh Allen, everything, the threat of Josh Allen's arm and his ability to run scares the living daylights out of most defensive coordinators, kind of like Lamar Jackson. But his arm strength and his, his, his accuracy obviously is a lot better. I do not think that Josh Allen was put in enough situations like in quarterback draws or read option plays that starts to make Kansas City think. I mean, granted, you will say what more could Buffalo have done offensively, but to AJ's point, if, if you are running a lot more, then you're keeping Kansas City on the field or their offense off the field a lot more. And I thought that Josh Allen's dual threat abilities as much as, again, it sounds weird because he did lead the team in rushing, but a lot of that was him scrambling for his life more so than design runs. So <clears throat> I just had a couple of things that I will add to what you guys said. If you are Buffalo and you continue to persist with not getting a running back of some level, level of consistency, 
to take the load off of Josh Allen and his legs, he will be used up faster than Ben Roethlisberger has been in Pittsburgh. The amount of hits that he is going to take will use him up similar to what happened to RG3 in Washington. That's number one. Secondly, I have to give a shout out to Gabriel Davis for breaking the receiving record in the playoffs with eight receptions for 201 yards and four touchdowns, including when he sat down the cornerback for the Chiefs on a, just a little quick shake of the hips and down he went. So that was fantastic from a passing perspective. And you knew coming into the game that well, Kansas City have not been great defensively from the running standpoint. Usually scoreboard pressure is what forces you to have to stop running the football. When they're able to get their offense clicking, you have to pass to keep up. And then when Tyron Matthew went down in the first quarter of a concussion, there were so many holes in the back end that you it would be remiss of you not to try to take advantage of them. But the fact still remains that unless you can have some sort of a balanced offense, you're not doing yourself any favors. And they scored too quickly. They scored too quickly right after the two-minute warning. Kansas City just marched right down the field and scored again. Then they came back and they scored with the 13 seconds left. And as you said, Justin, they probably thought that they had the game won. I mean, after all, the Dallas Cowboys couldn't get two players running 14 seconds. So what could the Kansas City Chiefs do from 13 seconds on their 25-yard line, right? <laughs> yeah, so, but one team has a head coach and the other team has Mike McCarthy, so. Exactly. <laughs> they, they were reading the press clippings and looking at the time, not remembering who was on the other side. When you take all of that into consideration, there are lots of things that, Buffalo can get better at. And as you said, coaching is probably number one, but number two, or 1A, if coaching is one, the run game is 1A. They cannot be dependent so heavily on Josh Allen every single time. It can't be Josh Allen running the football, Josh Allen passing the football. No, we have to find a way to lessen his load so that he can continue to be great. You're not looking for Josh Allen just to be good for the next two or three seasons. You want this man to be playing 10 more seasons and being the MVP candidate that he has grown to be. But they've got to do better. On a whole, the organization has to do better by him. Agreed. Agreed. No argument here. All right. So we made mention of therapy. I know it's my turn to have some therapy. Because it was announced on uh, Tuesday that Sean Payton is stepping away from the New Orleans Saints. And I told AJ this, Justin, that it was probably a good thing that we were not recording yesterday because it gave me some time to process this. This put a damper on the rest of my day on Tuesday. Now, for some perspective, where Sean Payton is concerned, Sean Payton has spent 15 seasons as the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, and now he is leaving. He is our greatest ever head coach. He 
When you look at the Saints as an organization from 1967, when they were incepted to 2005, the Saints record was 237 wins to 352 losses and five draws. And since 2006, when Payton arrived, we are 159 to 98. We had the worst win percentage among teams in the league who had played 100 games until 2005. But since he was there, we've had the fourth highest win percentage behind the Pittsburgh Steelers, AJ's New England Patriots, and Justin's Green Bay Packers. So Justin, what is your take on Peyton leaving? I, I don't think there's a bigger blow to your franchise, not even when Drew Brees retired last season. Like, as you mentioned, all of your success, like any success related to the franchise is all Sean Payton. At least that's how I see it. And what I will most remember Sean Payton for is being, like Drew Brees, the heart and soul of the city, leading its recovery effort after Katrina. Like, without the Saints and without Sean Payton at that time, I don't know how the city and the people of New Orleans recovered to not, like, you know, to get back to a place of stability without having some sort of hope where the Saints were concerned. I mean, he's everything. I, I look at him in a bigger light for that organization than actually Drew Brees. And it's funny enough, I, somebody joked to me and said, this is what a full season of Taysom Hill would do. Like, you get a full season of Taysom Hill and all of a sudden Sean Peter says, nope, I don't want any more of that. I'm, I'm done. But to be honest, like, this guy is a developer of quarterbacks. Like, Drew, I mean, make no mistake, Drew Brees was great during his time in, in, in the Chargers, but he didn't reach the heights uh, of what he became a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer with a number of records, especially the, the accuracy record before he met up with Sean Payton. And then you saw what he was able to do with the likes of um, Jameis Winston and, you know, finding and grinding out wins with somebody like Taysom Hill who chased him into retirement. And on top of that, like, you know, it's unfortunate for him that when he had Drew Brees in his prey and somebody, like, I'm thinking the tight end, but the name is drawing a blank, Jimmy Graham. When he had them in their primes, he didn't have the defense that he has right now. It's like, it's just unfortunate. Like, he had the elite offenses without the defense, then he had the elite defense without the offense. But he is a first-class coach, um, epitome of class. Um, I will know him or respect him as a true quarterback developer and uh, offensive genius in that mastermind. And reality is, whenever I think of the New Orleans Saints and whatever successes that they have, the first name that will come to mind for me is Sean Payne. What about you, AJ? Justin just mentioned um, Peyton and, you know, how he's seen it. And Justin, that, that sentiment obviously is shared by many people across um, the football fraternity. You, I'm not sure if any of you had been on social media, but there was a great, uh, a great deal of uh, an outpouring of love for this man because of things that he's done. Not, not just, just even the way he... he treated his players and how he was a leader of, of his players and whatnot. And what he meant to the city of New Orleans, obviously. 
NOLA, right? Um, so there, there are all these positive things. But can I have some questions? Furthermore, I have some concerns. I've, let me be very honest. I don't like the optics of it, you know. I don't like the optics, and I'll tell you why. And, and this is not to go after Sean Payton, but I'm just kind of, it just raises some questions in my mind. In his interview, his, basically his exit interview, he, he said that his heart is not in it. But his heart is not currently in what exactly? Is it like coaching football anymore or rebuilding the Saints again? Coaching Jason Hill probably, because that would change me. <laughs> it could very well be that too. It could very well be that too. But the reason why I say I don't like the optics of it is because the Saints are not in a very good position as a franchise right now, outside of the, 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 the championship caliber defense. As, as you mentioned in the, in the groups, like y'all have one of the worst salary cap situations and we've known that for a while, right? You currently don't have a QB. It's one year since Juby's left. I, I, I find it very hard to believe that Sean Payton woke up on Tuesday morning and felt like his heart wasn't in it. This had to be, because you don't make decisions like this after being in position like that for a while without consulting your family, without taking time to see, you know, like where where your heart really is. Like, it's, it, this is not just a knee-jerk kind of reaction. Like, this is not like me when I was younger and drinking sodas every day, drinking uh, um, soft drinks every day. And then I literally one day woke up and I was like, I tired of this sweet drink thing every day. And since that, I just don't buy them every single day. That's, that's not this. This man was a coach for umpteen years. So there's no way I can believe that he just woke up one morning and decided this. Did he... Did Gil Benson know before this? And they did not say anything because, you know, they were like waiting on the Saints season to be officially done. Uh, was she uh, um, surprised by, by his decision as well? Ken, I, I, I don't think, I'm not going to, to, to lambaste Sean Payton as an individual for doing this. I'm just saying personally, I'm looking at it like, why is your heart not in it now? How like it it this 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 couldn't have just happened all of a sudden. Your heart doesn't you, you don't lose the heart for something you are so ingratiated in all, uh, all of a sudden. It, I, I I refuse to believe that. So I, I, I there's another thing I, I would say too, and I, I find it actually you, you know I'm not a lover of your team. However, I actually find it disrespectful. All of the media personnel who are out here talking about that Sean Payton should now go to the Cowboys. Like that, even, even if it, even if we're saying that it, sh it should happen somewhere down the line, like a lot of them are saying like this summer, I, I find that very distasteful though. Not, not, not to leave the Saints in this manner and then, and then we're talking about this man potentially going and take a, another job because Jerry Jones is sad that he let him go. That's just, that's just an added footnote. But I, I, I just have some questions, Ken. I, 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 I can't understand how one comes to this decision at this point in time. And just like that, how is your heart not in it? I, I really want to know, is it that your heart is not in coaching football anymore or having to be a part of another rebuild after what you've done for this team in the past? I've, I, I, I'm wondering. So allow me to unburden myself in front of the people with Take it away, to this to this situation so 
First, allow me to wish happy trails to Coach Peyton. As you have mentioned, Justin, New Orleans as a city probably will not, would not be what it is right now if he was not there and if he did not come with Drew Brees in tow and give the people of New Orleans something to look forward to on a weekend. We're shortly after that, they won the Super Bowl, which then would also help to build the spirits of the folks in New Orleans. Now, I've never been to New Orleans myself, but that sure. is... That is some place that I have every intention of going to, especially for a Saints game. But when you look at this note from the Saints perspective, AJ, your your questions are spot on. Spot on. My first thought process when it was announced that Champagne was retiring is what is going to happen to my team going forward? We just lost Drew Brees and we suffered this season and it was only because of the greatness of Sean Payton that we still had a winning season. We finished nine and eight playing four different quarterbacks this season. Three of whom are not quarterbacks, but continue. All right. And then we go now, we look ahead to next season. We, we don't know what the status is going to be of Jameis Winston because he just tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. We are saddled now with a contract for Taysom Hill that, honestly, I wish we had not given him this new one and we left him with the one we gave him just before the season started. Because even though he had a lot of money on that contract, we had a lot of avoidable years and we could have gotten out from under that at some point in time. But nobody is going to take Tyson Hill off our hands. No. We have a situation with Michael Thomas who, for some people, they don't even believe that he's ever going to put back on a Saints uniform. We are $61 million over the projected cap for 2022. But you know, the one thing that would have probably been able to help us with the situation and, you know, we find a way somehow to get under the cap every single year. We lose players that we'd rather keep, but we're still a competent, and a combative unit every year is because we had Coach Payton to help our offense. When you're looking at free agents, free agents either come for coaching or they come for other players. Right now, we don't have the players and we've just lost our coach. What is going on? What is going to happen right now? I feel like Chicken Little saying the sky is falling, except that it is literally cracking me over the head. My team is in such disarray. The only thing that would save us now is if Brady retires. Because then Tampa is also going to have to figure themselves out. Atlanta is a mess and Carolina is the worst of all. So maybe then the NFC South becomes like the NFC East where all the teams not really that good. And then, you know, somebody has to come on, maybe we get a chance. And at some point in time later on, we will look and we discuss who could potentially be coming in and what the Saints could probably look like in the future. But today, 
my heart is heavy looking down the line at what my team can can be if we don't find a way to to fix all of the problems that we have and like you AJ it is very very upsetting to see the national media because it's not just the Dallas media the national media that's saying Sean Payne to the Cowboys I'm like wait a second this man still had two years left on his contract it's not as if to say that his contract was up and he was just saying, okay you know guess what I've had enough mm-hmm. I'm out and then he can go wherever he wants to go. And I never say, well, coach, thank you. No, thank you for the memories. Mm-hmm. But you got a two-year contract. And to the point about Gil Benson and if she knew or if she didn't know, it was just Monday. It was just on Monday that, you know, this talk about him leaving was picking up steam. I said, I don't see how it can happen because there was nothing all the way through the year that would suggest that he was unhappy or that he would want to leave or what have you. Then I saw the, the little short clip that Bleacher Report put out with Gail Benson. When they asked her about, you know, all this talk about, is Bain coming back or is he leaving? And she started to laugh. And I'm like, lady, what are you doing? This is not a laughing matter. There's nothing funny about this. How can you find it? amusing that your head coach might not come back I would say the only issue that I have since we're bringing up questions is that Sean Payton should have announced this earlier and the reason I say that is because there are so many good candidates out there right now I feel like this is right now the best pool of candidates for and and, and now New Orleans has to go and compete with so many other open spots who have so many better situations around them and and now they're behind the eight ball so like I mean this is not because I'm a Green Bay Parker fan but somebody like Nathaniel Hackett that is somebody you should be targeting uh Byron Leftwich from um Tampa Bay both both their coordinators actually Byron Leftwich and and Todd Bowles then you have a situation at the enemy and there are so, I feel like this year's crop is so good that Sean Payton, if he knew earlier, owed it to the New Orleans organization to have put this out there earlier, say, well, you know, with two or three games left, hold on a second, guys. Yeah, with two or three games left, I am likely not going to return. So they could start their head coaching or start to put things together early. Because as we've seen with Denver, as we've seen with Minnesota, Minnesota, sorry, with Chicago, with Jacksonville, at least those four teams have had an early jump on what is going on. Um, the assistant coordinator, or the offensive assistant in Buffalo as well, Brian Dable. There's so there's a pool of so many good candidates, and right now you have to compete with so many openings from the Texans to the three aforementioned I just uh, um, put out there, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders even, you have put your team behind the eight ball in terms of trying to find a, a suitable replacement. Yeah, and I, I maintain that Sean Payton had to have known this from before. Uh, like I said, I'm not excoriating him or trying to cast, cast aspersions on his character, uh, but I, I don't think 
whether it was him knowing before or him and Gail Benson knowing before, I don't think that this situation was handled um, in the best manner that it could have been. I, like, like you, Justin, I'm questioning the timing as well. But my biggest question is, is, is just like, what, I, I really want to know what is his heart not in. I, I, I'm not, gonna, I'm not ever going to get that answer. Poetry, Jason Mill will do that to you. And that's another thing, right? I, I, listen, I would be livid if, if Bill Belichick was to retire now after giving contracts to these, to these bums that he just brought in at the beginning of the season. But that's just on another note. So I'm just saying, kind of, kind of, in that regard, I understand how you feel. <sighs> yeah, I, he had to have known this. I'm, I'm sorry, though, but th those are just like, I, I, I was very surprised to hear that at first. But then after it settled in and I started thinking about it more, it's like, wait, something here just is not adding up to me, though. The situation could have all wrong been handled better. Agreed. So before we get out of here, fellas, we actually got some football games coming out this weekend. So, as we preview the championship weekend, first up is what I think is actually going to be the better game, honestly. We have the Kansas City Chiefs. They are going to be at home facing the Cincinnati Bengals, who they lost to in week 17. But as far as I remember, they lost that game at Cincinnati. And now Cincinnati is coming to Arrowhead. So, Justin, revenge game. What do you see happening in Arrowhead this weekend? I see a similar situation to what happened against Buffalo. I think coaching matters and the experience in big games matter. Granted, these kids in Cincinnati, they, you know, don't understand the moment and they don't fear. And that's always dangerous with kids who just don't seem to grasp how big these moments are. You may never get back here. So playing with house money is all, or playing against a team with house money is always, always very, very dangerous. I think, again, it is going to be hard for the Kansas City Chiefs to beat this team simply because when they lost to Cincinnati in Cincinnati, they held Joe Mixon to under 50 yards. They played a clean game with no interceptions, no fumbles, and they still lost. I don't know that that's going to happen again. Like, I don't know if you can both play a clean game and keep Joe Mixon under 50 yards again. Mm -hmm. But I think the lack of experience will come to bite the Bengals at some point, as you saw with the Buffalo Bills. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, having been there, done that already. And clearly the coaching staff, Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy. Steve Spagnuolo, having been there, done that, and showing that I don't want to sound cliche and generalizing or generalizing the situation, but there's something to be said about being ready for crucial moments. And I think Kansas City over these last four seasons have proven that when big moments come or when critical moments come that require some sort of, you know, on the flight thinking, this team is clearly prepared. And that's why we'll give them like a three-point edge in this one over the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, you, AJ? What do you think? Uh, recently, you had asked a question as to what I thought that the Bengals' ceiling would be or like how far they could go in the playoffs. And I, I maintain that 
the AFC Championship game, right? I did not see them getting beyond that because it, it was lining up that they would either, either have to play the Chiefs or the Bills. And even last week when we were talking as well, I, I did say to you that I thought the Bills were the team to beat. And I admit I was wrong on that. I, when I did my um, accurate or not, I did say that. that I, I underestimated the Chiefs. And I'm not going to do that again, though. That's the thing. At, at this stage, and, and Justin already touched on it, like, there is something to be said for having been here before and coaching is going to come into play. And um, even though, as was already said, the Bengals are playing with house money, so they have nothing to fear. It's like, like Gene Hackman told the replacement. I don't know if you all ever saw the replacement. It's a, it's a crappy footballing movie, but it's a, it's a decent movie. Yeah, the footballing in it makes no sense, but football playing makes no sense. But, but it's, a, it's a nice little movie to watch, right? But a part of that was, was in the little speech. Obviously, you can't beat the speech from like any given Sunday or anything. I remember the Titans and whatnot. But I just, this line just always runs through my head when the coach Gene Hackman was telling the players that uh, there's no tomorrow for you and that makes you very dangerous people. The Bengals can go in with that mentality. However, you know who's also dangerous? Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And I, <laughs> I think that the experience will come into play. I can't, as much as I may want to, can, I can't pick against. I, I said that the Bengals' ceiling was the AC Championship game, and I'm going to maintain that because of their opponents. I cannot pick against the Chiefs for two weeks in a row. I, I don't see how that, especially with them being at home. So I'm... I'm giving the Chiefs the edge here. Well, it's a clean sweep here, fellas, because when you saw my bracket, my bracket had the Chiefs winning this weekend. And that has not changed. There's nothing I have seen during these playoffs to change my mind. So, yes, we know that when the Chiefs played against the Bengals, they lost to them in Week 17, which was what cost them the number one seed in the AFC. I honestly do, do believe that having not gotten that number one seed worked out in their favor because you now they've been playing games and they've been able to maintain the offensive rhythm that they had coming into the end of the season all the way into the playoffs. And that rhythm in 13 seconds got them down the field in time to kick a field goal. So... I'm looking at what the Chiefs are able to do, and I'm looking at the Bengals' defense, and the Bengals' defense is, is legitimate. They have been able to stymie the run. They have been able to do decent things in the past, and they've just took three turnovers away from Ryan Tannehill. But Ryan Tannehill is not Patrick Mahomes. So when you know you're no stepping up in weight, you're no stepping up in class, and you're coming up against the team that is the team in the AFC. If you want to get to the Super Bowl, just some point in time, you're going to have to beat the Chiefs. I think that home field advantage is going to matter because when the Chiefs lost to the Bengals, it was, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was on that fluky penalty situation where Patrick Mahomes never got the ball back when they were on the goal line basically for the last two minutes of the game. That is not happening 
Again, that is not going to happen in Arrowhead. So when they look at all of that, and they put all of that together, and then we know the big the big name threats. We have the the Travis Kelsey's, we have the uh, Tyree Hills, but then you still have the Miko Hardmans and the Byron Pringles that are there to get you those four to five receptions and easily could give you 60 to 70 yards in those five receptions because they are not as fast as Tyree Hill, but they're still burners as well. There is so much for the Chiefs at home that I still believe that the Bengals will give it a good game, but this is one year too early for them. Next season, uh, having had the, the benefit of the experience this year, it's probably where we're going to see a better version of the Bengals, but 2022 in January of 2022? No, not yet. Not yet. The kids have to wait their turn. It's still the turn of the Chiefs at this point. So, that is the early game on Sunday, and then the late game is the LA Rams hosting the San Francisco 49ers. Now, it is the Rams' fault that they have to play the 49ers again this season. Because if they had just beat them, then the 49ers would not have made the playoffs. But now they have to face them again in the same location that they lost to them in Week 18, especially recognizing that the 49ers fans made SoFi an away game for the Rams. Recent history shows that the Rams can't get the 49ers beat. Six games, six straight losses. Justin, start with you again. How do you see this going this weekend? Seven straight losses, can they? Don't go any further. You touched on it first, so I'll get there. I was going to save that for last. SoFi is going to be a 49ers home game. The reality is I don't know why the Chargers and Rams thought that it made sense to go into a saturated sports market like LA and think that they'll get fans. There's no such thing as a Los Angeles Rams fan. Like Those don't exist. And I know that the Rams and the NFL have been working not to sell tickets to, where is it, like Southern California? That's where thing is based. That's not going to work because Ticketmaster and StubHub don't have those restrictions. And that's where people get their tickets from. I am telling you right now, so far it's going to be 75% 49ers and then whatever else is knocking around in so far. And so then to the point on the football field, unless you're the 1999 Titans, it's kind of hard to beat 18 three straight times in the same season. But again, matchups are what make football. So I talked to y'all, if there's a way to beat this Rams defense, it is to run the football. And if there's one thing that San Fran wants to do, it is to run the football. They're going to get a heavy dose of Elijah Mitchell. They're going to have, get a heavy dose of, of Debo Samuel. And if Jimmy Garoppolo actually throws the ball, it is going to be out of play action and naked bootleg. I think Kyle Shanahan has the recipe to keep Sean McVay and that offense off the field. Granted, I will say, if you can get the 49ers in any one aspect, their secondary is very, very, very suspicious. But to counter that, what they do, they only rush four. And the four they rush, one of those four 
is Nate Bosa, who just lives in people's backfield. It is going to be very, very hard. And the Rams, if they want to win this game, are going to have to commit to running the football because I don't think that front, their, their, their offensive line can hold up against that front for San Francisco. Nothing tell, and again, I pointed to it earlier when we spoke about the Rams-Buccaneers matchup. Mm-hmm. No team runs more three-way receiver sets than the Los Angeles Rams. They want to throw it around the park. And that's going to play right into San Francisco's hands because they want to pass rush. And Matt Stafford is no longer one of the more mobile quarterbacks in this league. Seven in a row, I see San Fran winning at home in SoFi. <laughs> what about you, AJ? Are you going with the home team or the home team? <laughs> I'll, I'll go with home team num, um, home team A the one who is team whose name is associated with the stadium team whose name is associated with the stadium um, now you made mention of the six straight losses and that is a, a, a very damning stat right but um, again even Justin just mentioned it too it's, it's really hard to beat one team three times in the same season. I've, I, I guess for me more so, I have been not overly impressed, but I just have been feeling like the Rams have been getting it together at the right time. And on the flip side of that, as well as the Niners have been doing, I've never been, I, I've, I just always feel like the time is going to come when Jimmy G is going to give away a game. I cannot take Jimmy G in another Super Bowl and against Patrick Mahomes because again I have the Chiefs to go through so the last time they played in week 18 um, the man threw 32 times he doesn't even have that many passes in the postseason thus far I, I, I no, that many attempts I don't know that he will either because Kyle Shanahan shows you what he really thinks of Garoppolo when it comes down to when it comes down to it and that is to hand off the ball to the damn running back. Um, Justin already made mention of that as well, and that is the way to beat this Rams team, but I I have a little more confidence in the... (laughs) And as I'm saying it, your your voice can go into my head about the Stan Cranky teams, right? But (laughs) but I I have to roll with the Rams for right now. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm going to say that, that the break the curse that they break the hex and as the home team are going to take this one um especially knowing what that what lies ahead is a potential super bowl matchup at home it's the same way it was last year for the bucks uh i I think they can get it together well enough they they it seems so far in the playoffs i feel like they've essentially played to their opponents up or down to their opponents because they weren't the same, the, the game plan that worked last week for the Bucks was not the exact same thing that they did when it was the Cardinals. I, I, I expect them to be better prepared um, and to be able to pull us off. I, I'm, I'm still seeing it with, with just a, a little hint of, of I know, like, yeah. I'm, uh, I, I see you, there's no conviction in your voice. Sorry, that's, 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 the, that's the word. That's the, that's the right word. It was yeah. not coming to me. I, 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 I'm not as I'm not as convinced. There's a lack of conviction in my voice. I, I I I'm glad you could have told that. But it is more again. It is more like less of evil to me. I 
I just don't want to see Jimmy G in another Super Bowl, man. Well, do don't turn on your 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 TV <laughs> three Sundays from now. Wait, wait. See, no, I I understand your trepidation when you're when you're looking at um, picking this game again. My, the, I have both of these teams to play on the divisional round, and I expected both of them to lose. So right now, this is me just picking because I'm not <laughs> going according to my bracket. My bracket, that side of my bracket, is completely busted. But this one is a little challenging for all of the reasons that you guys have just stated. I mean. The Rams, you can expect that the Rams are going to sound like the stadium is going to sound like if they're at Levi Stadium. But they're playing in a dome, which works out, you would think, for the passing offense of the Rams, except that the Rams don't stop the run very well. And the San Francisco 49ers are coming to literally ram the ball down your throat. Mm-hmm. So. This is a really, really difficult game if you don't want to see Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl. Which is also a little surprising because a lot of your Patriots fans used to be really, really high on Garoppolo. But I guess... He were there, used to be. Right, I, I guess... I, wanted, I, guess. I just wanted to see a bit more before I made my final determination on him. I've seen enough. Okay, no problem. Because I know when, when the... The 49ers made that run to the Super Bowl when they lost to the Chiefs. I may mention the fact that, you know, over two games, Jimmy Garoppolo passed the ball 12 times. And that was as indicative. You didn't need to wait any further, in my opinion, to see what Kyle Shanahan thought of his quarterback. Because there's no other quarterback in the NFL, not even Baker Mayfield, that could play two games and only throw the ball 12 times. So when you... When you take all of that into consideration, we know how this game is set up to go. Jimmy is not passing, therefore the pass rush is going to have problems. We've seen this game, we've seen this story before, just two weeks ago. Week 18, when the Rams, they knew they needed to win the game to get past the Cardinals to be the winner of the NFC West, and they could not do it against a desperate team that just wanted to get into the playoffs. They're going to be at home again, and I can see them struggling again. And what has changed? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed between what happened in week 18 and what's going to happen this weekend. We they, they brought back Eric Weddle in time for the playoffs as if Eric Weddle, who's not played football for two years, is going to be the answer at safety. Who is um, Jenna Ramsey supposed to follow when Jimmy's not passing the ball? Yeah. And if he decides not to follow Debo, then chances are that's the time that Debo's going to get the ball and then they're going to burn the rest of that secondary. There is not enough here for me to be confident in the Rams. And I'm not going to say what I say about Stan Crunky teams again at this point. Because that <laughs> point is well made over the last couple of weeks. Like Justin, I believe that San Francisco are going to be the team to make it to the Super Bowl and play against the Kansas City Chiefs 
in two, three weeks' time, two weeks' time, to see who is going to be lifting the Lombardi this season. Sounds good. I can't. I, can't, I just can't do it. I tell you, like, there's nothing. The only thing that may have changed is that no, Odell Beckham Jr. is more, I don't know, looks more comfortable in the offense. Mm-hmm. And that is a very, very reliable and great second option to have outside the Cooper Cup. And if there is a weakness of that San Francisco second, uh, that San Francisco defense, it is indeed that secondary, but got to have time on these developing ropes. And I just think that that San Fran front four is going, I think they're only going to rush for, drop everyone back in the secondary, and they're going to make a living hell for my Stafford. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with all of your analysis on the game plan and how this is going to go. I can, I can even envision it going that way, but I just cannot in good faith. Uh, we've been speaking about good faith and I cannot pick. And Ken, yeah, I, was, I wasn't even very high on Jimmy G. It was more so I was like, you know what? He fits the system. But and what, what has become more evident to me is the fact that the man is always trying to give the other team an opportunity to get back into a game. His team bails him out, and he always tries to find a way by making some very boneheaded plays to try to get the opposition to, to keep the game tight. That is where I, I, I was like, you know what? I've had it. I've had enough. Understood. Well, fellas, we've been here for a while. Good talk, guys. Good talk. We, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we, we were able to cover, and yeah, I, I believe that the therapy session was beneficial for all of us tonight. Tell me, boy. Yeah. So, Justin, before we get out of here, tell the folks where and how they can find you. If you can't find us, you're not looking for us, hashtag this just in. Make sure to put the hashtag or you're going to come up on some other lower quality show featuring Matt Skellerman at ESPN. So that's hashtag this just in. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And every Monday night, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern Caribbean time, we do go live on YouTube with our full or long show. All right. And AJ, I know you have your accurate or not coming up this week as well. Yeah. So um, I did. Well, I did. I did one for the last set of games since I went two for two. And my bracket has been completely lopsided um i got <laughs> i got one right one wrong in each conference so we'll see how i go this weekend but um most recently i've been focusing that on these playoff games um see what i've where i have hit the mark and where i've missed it all right and that but yeah means- sorry that should be out i'm sorry on friday um yeah just before these games all right so that brings us now to the end of another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. Again, we thank Justin of This Just In for joining us tonight for our therapy session. And that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Beige. And we will see you next time.